college football at its best from the center of the universe, a.k.a. Kyle, Texas. It's Marty, seldom used reserve Coleman. And this week, he is back in West Orange, New Jersey. It's Casey, the beef, Cregan. Casey, how was the trip from back from Calabogie Sound back to West Orange? It was great. It was um, pretty, pretty uneventful. Uh, I had to rent a car from Hilton Head Airport, and they close at 2 in the afternoon. So I had to rush, catch a boat. It was like that old movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, except there was no trains. Subbed that with a boat. Took a boat to the car, to the airport, and uh, uneventful. Great trip. Great to see the family. Back to the grind here in New Jersey. And uh, the state's making me quarantine for 14 days because I came from one of those infected states now crazy how it flipped i know we talked about it last week but it's crazy how everything's flipped now so i'm i'm stuck i, I moved rooms at least you can see uh, i got the uh, christmas wreath up because i'm lazy um <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> we're here ahead but actually you're probably like behind well you're right in the middle of the season so i mean middle That's of right. the year so yeah we're, we're just six months ahead of everybody else um, I, I'd be lying to you if I said that we haven't had this up since December, but hey, it's a nice little backdrop. I was trying to figure out how to change it and get to DeAndre McDaniel and, and Christian Ponder, <laughs> but the wife would probably kill me, so I, I decided to leave it status quo. Well, I knew you guys had been apart for a while, so I'm sure you're happy to see her and, of course, your little boy, which, you know, I I uh, was away from Parker when he was young for a little while, too, so... I'm right there with you. I understand that for sure. She did this to me too, last year as well, and it's not it's it's okay because I get down there and I talk to him every night, twice a twice a day, almost three times a day, some some days. So we're we're good. Uh, you know, he's he's fantastic. He's almost three, so we'll we'll talk a lot about him and maybe even one day get him on the air with us. Oh, that'd be at least. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I know we're gonna get Parker on, but he might be a little more coherent than than my boy Ryan. So. We got to – well, I wouldn't bet on it. He's going into high school, so you never know. Uh, we'll get Beef Junior, Little Beef. That's right. Slider. Slider is what we Slider. call him around here. Oh, that's perfect. Hey, we're going to talk some recruiting tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been talking off and on about recruiting. We've been having fun at Mac Brown's expense. And uh, Mac Brown's been having some fun at our expense lately, and we'll talk about that. But first up is – Peyton Page, who could be the one that gets away from Mac Brown. Now, his decision is coming up. I think he set it for July 28th. He's down to Clemson, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And I believe it's in that order from what I understand. Clemson is favored, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Defensive tackle out of North Carolina. So here we go with Max Spence again. Now, we'll say that if he does, if he signs with Clemson, Tennessee, or actually anybody but North Carolina, Max Spence is taking a hit because this will be four out of the top five who are not committed to North North Carolina. However, I want to defend Mac here a little bit. Uh, Six, seven, seven, eight, and ten in the state also belong to him in one of the top five. So Peyton Page up July 28th. What do you know about Mr. Page? Man, I, I joked with you via text or uh, on this on this little outline here that we're working with, but you got me watching film of 17, 18-year-old kids. Now, I do follow recruiting, especially now that we're doing this show. I'm following it a little closer. But I, I'd be lying to you again if I told you that I would sit and watch film of these kids or, or extensive. 
but because Peyton Page is also part of the Clemson family, and, and that's my first love, obviously. I have I, I did actually watch a little bit of him today for the first time. And wow, he kind of reminds me of a Grady Jarrett, how Grady Jarrett was as a junior. Big, wide, low, wrestling-type defensive tackle. Grady Jarrett, I'll, I'll take a dozen, please. Yeah, and he was a two-star, right, coming out of high school? You know, these recruiting services really hit on all of them. But uh, I'm saying what he did in college and even beyond what he's doing in the pros it's just obviously he's not there yet. He's a 17, 18 year old kid, but he just keeps his pad level low. He leverage, 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 man. He he has it. He looks like a difference maker. He also kind of showed me glimpses of a Christian Wilkins type. Once again, I would take 11 D out of 11 D of those as well. And I, I I got a little bit excited. And like I said, I, I'm a 40 year old, 42 year old, 43 year old man now, I guess. And, uh, I don't usually get excited about get, watching 17, 18-year-old kids in high school play, but wow, he, he's explosive off the line. He can get to the backfield. He can rush the passer. He's strong, and uh, that would be a huge get for whatever one of the three that get him. Yeah, you never can have too many defensive tackles because that's a position, much like the offensive line where you know injuries happen. The bigger guys, they have you know soft tissue injuries a lot and ankles and knees and, and the hand-to-hand combat in there. Um, though they may outlaw that this year. Um, <laughs> uh, the hand-to-hand combat in there, injuries are going to happen. You can never have too many defensive tackles. Next up, we want to talk about a North Carolina commit who's not part of the fence, but he is part of Mac Brown's 2021 class. Now, it was interesting when I saw this guy commit to North Carolina, I went, oh, great, they got a guy, but he's probably not as highly ranked as Peyton Page. Well, he's not. He's higher than Peyton Page. Mr. Page is 30th. Tony Grimes is 13th overall. He's a cornerback out of Virginia. What do you know about Mr. Grimes? Watched a little bit of him today, too, but the, all the signs that I looked at with him were Dre Bly. That's all. Dre Bly is, I don't know what, what he was doing before Mac got there. I'm not sure. I didn't do a lot of research into where he was. But he's got his hands over everybody, and Tony Grimes was one of his stars. Uh, obviously, Tony Grimes is a, a highly rated kid out of Virginia Beach, and Dre Bly recruited him, was the lead recruiter. So I'm not sure what Mac's doing, but all the guys that they seem to want or get, the highly rated ones anyway, the quarterback, Drake May, is another one that Dre Bly was all over. He's, he, it's, it's, that's the consistent. Uh, really strong little kid. I say little, he's big. Uh, five-star cornerback from Virginia Beach moves well. Of course, in the in the film, you're only going to see him making plays. You're not going to see him ever getting beat. Not sure he's ever been beat, but uh, it looks good. Looks really good. Good hip swivel. I'm not I'm not too <laughs> deep into that, but he does move well. He he runs backwards really well. I don't know if that's the industry standard either for saying uh, he's fast too. Big kid bodies bodies his opponent, and he was owning kids in Virginia. So I'm not sure exactly how good those teams are that he's playing against. Uh, it looks like a good get for, for Dre Bly in North Carolina. Well, and if I if I recall, he's the number one corner. So I, I think the evaluators take all the competition in, you know, into into account, so to speak. And that's all part of their evaluation. And being the number one corner, he has to obviously have the talent to do that and and you're right we've been hearing a lot about Dre Bly there so that may be Mac's secret weapon 
uh, up there in North Carolina. So maybe he's building one heck of a defense there in Chapel Hill. You know, Oklahoma, I know this is going to shock you, but Lincoln Riley got a quarterback to commit to him because, you know, <laughs> he just wants to throw for 5,000 yards and 45 touchdowns. And we're talking about the number three overall player in the country and I believe the number one dual threat quarterback in Caleb Williams. I think he's out of the Washington, D.C. area. He is. And I actually thought that he would surprise the world and go to Maryland because he's from that area. Maryland was on his top three. I, I don't know why. I always root for the underdog, I guess. But Mike Loxley, the head coach there, has Alabama ties. He's got a lot of recruiting. He's trying to build the fence around Maryland. Not sure exactly how great the high school is, but at least keep the, the good ones, the great ones at home. Didn't quite work out for him. I, I'm also, a, this, this might get a conversation started. I'm also a guy who's been on record of saying that Lincoln Riley can't develop any quarterbacks. He just gets them off the, quote, scrap heap. I'm, I mean, he's gotten some good ones off the scrap heap, no, no question about it. But he hasn't really developed one on his own, necessarily, that I would give him credit for. Now he's got the Spencer Rattler kid that's probably going to start this year if there's football. And now he's also got Caleb Williams. Really good quarterback. He is. Well, I would say, and you're going to – don't ask me names because I don't know them, but I would say Lincoln Riley perhaps has not developed a quarterback at Oklahoma, but over his career uh, as, a, as an assistant, he's developed quarterbacks wherever he was, East Carolina and I think Texas Tech before that. So, I mean – it depends how much credit you want to give him. But I agree. You know, he's handed Baker Mayfield, um, uh, handed Jalen Hurts. Uh, we'll get it. And this year with Spencer Rattler, I guess we're going to see. And, you know, what a year to have it put on you as developing a quarterback. You know, limited spring, if any. Limited summer, if any. Who knows what the fall practice is going to look like, if any. So um, it'll be an interesting year for Oklahoma. Dang it, there's the word. Fourteen ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, into the uh, man. Some charity is going to make a bundle off of it. Here, uh, it'll it'll be really cool to see what he does with the quarterback this year um, that he has to develop. Oregon. And I'm sure he, I'm sure he's okay at developing quarterbacks, but that doesn't help my arguments on, on with my anonymous Twitter account. You know, when I'm trying to badmouth him and and up Dabo. He he's developed quarterbacks, just not at Oklahoma. But you know, if you don't have to, you know, why why? <laughs> and they've been great. Maybe he's he's definitely has a hand on all those all those right. kids. Baker Mayfield. Who's the kid that's at Arizona? The Arizona Cardinals. I can't think of his name. Won the Heisman. Um, Kyler Murray. Thank you. Kyler Murray. He was handed Kyler Murray. He was handed Jalen Hurts. And look at all their stats. They blew up for all of them. So, I mean, he definitely has a hand in it. I'm going to give him credit there. But like I said, my anonymous Twitter account doesn't allow me to <laughs> give credit where it's due. Yeah, but it is. It's, I mean, it's a fact, right? He's starting this year. Uh, you know, I saw Kyler Murray when he played at A&M, and he was nothing spectacular. So when I see what he did at Oklahoma – though I think it was a, a, a little bit of hype and running around, kind of like a Johnny Manziel thing um, that played really well in the Big 12. Um, you know, that's one thing. We'll see We'll see with Spencer Rattler this year, hopefully, and with 
Caleb Williams in the future. As I mentioned, Oregon signed a uh, the 16th ranked 16th ranked wide receiver. I'm having a hard time speaking tonight. Number 114 overall, Isaiah Brevard. I don't know much about this kid. I just saw it come across the headlines. I thought I'd throw it in there. Uh, you know, top 100-ish type wide receiver at Oregon. Sounds like, um, you know, usual. Well, the, the thing that really – and I didn't watch a lot of his film at all, to be honest with you, but the thing that really caught my attention was the fact that they have three of the top 114 receivers in their class. Three four-star kids with the Chiron Ware Hudson out of California, a pair of California kids actually, and Troy Franklin, who is probably the highest rated receiver for Oregon. But they're doing something too out there in the Pac-12 that they're trying to reload on the on the offensive side of the ball. They have an opportunity also with the number one recruit in the country, Corey Foreman, who was verbally committed to Clemson for a minute. And he, he's going to release his top seven here in the next day or so, if it's not released already. And so they're building something out there. I don't know. We haven't seen a Pac-12 team in the college football playoff in some time. Maybe it's going to be Oregon. Maybe this year, maybe next year. Now, we haven't. he wasn't even on our list to talk about, but I saw him sitting up there at the top of the rivals list. Uh, speaking of Corey Foreman, is Clemson even still in that race, or is it the thinking now that he's going to stay on the West Coast? Because that's, you know, that's the trendy thing to say now because of COVID, right? You want to stay closer to home. I think that's the trendy thing to say. And then he's got a lot of pull. There's somebody out there at Southern California, USC, that he has a true connection to, plus maybe a high school teammate or a friend that's also uh, verbally committed there. Oregon is, thinks they have a, a run at him, too, because it's not it's the next state, neighboring state. He can still get home. But all, all the things that I'm hearing is that Clemson's still involved with him. He's still high on Clemson. But this Peyton Page uh, recruitment may – Sway it a little bit. Yes, Page is a D tackle and Foreman's at the end, but the numbers are going to start dwindling. And and like Clemson does, they pick and choose who they want, and they move on. If they, if, if you don't want them, then they're going to move on. And uh, right now, it seems like it's it's one or the other. And if they get Page, maybe they move move along from Foreman. Yeah, obviously um, numbers are important, but you would think they would take the number one or two. Uh, player in the nation, right? A hundred percent. I am not a recruiting guru, but I can, I can, uh, I can tell you that. And it, it would seem to be, you know, if anybody can talk about the the depth in the defensive line, it would be Clemson. You know, from the Power Rangers a few years ago to these guys, uh, I'll take both of them, as you said uh, before. And before we they'll, finish- they'll, they'll find a spot. They'll find a spot for him, I'm sure, if he wants to come. And I just looked at his Twitter, and he just retweeted a, a message from Dabo Sweeney. So I think Clemson's very much in position to to still get him. We'll see. Ah, Fifteen bucks. I oh, said it. I said two thirds. So I'm going to say fourteen dollars and sixty seven cents worth in the chart. <laughs> I didn't want to touch base. We we uh, want to talk college football here, and not just Clemson. Uh, South Carolina also got a commit, T.J. Sanders. He is number eighth-ranked player in South Carolina, defensive lineman. Now, this is not a highly-ranked recruit, but as we talked about in a previous episode, this season South Carolina doesn't have anybody in the top 250, the state of South Carolina, I should say, high schools, don't have anybody. So it's a, it's not a strong class in South Carolina, but this is a uh, – 6'4", 284-pound, three-star prospect 
had offers from Coastal and Duke, East Carolina, NC State. You know, they, they're known for defensive linemen. Syracuse, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Uh, so he had, you know, and a few other teams. So he had some decent, uh, some decent offers there, some SEC teams, and some that are known for defensive line. Do you know anything about this guy? I went out to a person with knowledge of the situation, a head coach in South Carolina who happened to be one of my former roommates at Clemson to see if he knew anything about the kid. And his response was, never heard of him. So that didn't, that wasn't helpful to this or, or our show. Um, but I, I then did some research myself. I didn't watch film on him, but everything that I've read says that raw says that he's raw. He's got the body, obviously six four, two eighty four. 284. You cut that down to six four, two seventy five 275 muscle, lean muscle. And you maybe you get some athleticism out of him. Maybe that three star eventually turns into a four star and, and, you know, it all starts in the trenches. So you got to get somebody maybe to, to learn for a couple, two years, and then maybe he shows signs, shows flashes. They've had a couple kids over there at South Carolina, too, that weren't necessarily highly recruited that came on. I think Kinlaw was – no, he was highly recruited. But there, there was somebody that I'm, I'm missing uh, that was absolutely one of those that made it made an impact on the defensive front. So – like this get for South Carolina, keep it in state. That might be that's what their motto is. That's how they're going up against Clemson and recruiting right now is is trying to keep the in state kids in state and and while Clemson's going nationally, going to California, going to Washington, going wherever they want to get their guys. I think that's their recruiting pitch, and this is a big get for them. I think. Yeah, those uh, they can certainly uh, put on. You were talking about going down to two seventy five, but it seems to me. When those guys get in the weight room in South Carolina, and I don't know what it is, maybe it's their uniform, but they look bigger than the Clemson guys. Even though you know Christian Wilkins is three hundred and and Big Dex was pushing three fifty at times, those South Carolina guys are not small after a couple of years in the uh, in the weight room. And they tend to wear single digits, especially like the like Clowney. He just looked like a, a beast. Kinlaw was another one that wore a single digit. Like that big number just seems like they're just wider. It would seem to be maybe maybe the double digits you would think would look wider, but that little eight and then there then there's nothing but that black uniform. It's interesting, yeah. And let oh you said it that time, so that's not costing me anything. Uh, <laughs> and another one I just recalled uh, I knew I couldn't think of the name as you were talking. It was Melvin Ingram with the Chargers now, right? Yes, thank you. He was a huge monster in that, on that line. Uh, I don't remember if he's there with Clowney or not, but uh, he was. Yeah, what a, what a defensive line! So the Gamecocks get a good one, if maybe developmental, not thought of highly as the other guys. But you know, that's somewhere where you can develop a guy right over three or four years on that defensive line. Not expected to come in and contribute right away um, at a high level. Hey, beef over on our. Uh, our college football discussion board we have now over on Facebook, we have over 420 folks on that group now. And I posed a question the other day, and I thought it was uh, going to be an unpopular opinion, and it wasn't quite as unpopular as I thought it would be. I was watching the 1977 Sugar Bowl, uh, Alabama, uh, Georgia, <laughs> Georgia, Alabama, what's the difference? Oh, about 10 national championships. Uh, <laughs> um, Georgia and Pittsburgh with Tony Dorsett. Dorsett runs up the middle, gets hit by some pasty guy from uh, Georgia, 
and uh, fumbles, quote, fumbles the ball, air quotes. Georgia points the other way. They unpile the guys. Referees point Pittsburgh's way, and it was done and over with. There was no 10-minute stoppage for a replay. There was no 47 angles or I think maybe no discussion in the booth other than maybe two seconds. Oh, it looked like he might have fumbled there. Oh, I don't know, Keith, and moved on. And I, it took me back to a time where I know we want to get things right. That's what everybody says. Got to get it right. It's not fair. But we've gotten away, it seems to me, from the intent of replay, which was to correct obvious bad calls. And now it turns out to let's spend 15 minutes, you know, super slow-mo, high-def, blow it up and make sure. That's not what was intended. So in my mind, if they're going to do that, um, change the rule. The rule needs to match what happens on the field, right, what they do. If it's spend 20 minutes getting it right, then put that in the rule book. If it's just overturn, if it's not clear and obvious, I guess what I'm saying is if you watch something nine times and you still can't decide, it's not clear and obvious. I agree completely. And, and every time that I saw – or. When I saw your question on the Facebook page and even while you're talking here, even with replay, we still have plays that people are arguing about. We still have the play in the Clemson-Ohio State game with T. Higgins where was it a fumble or was it not a fumble? I mean, we're six months later and we're still having that conversation. So is it really working? Now, I love it when it works. And probably I love it when it works in – Clemson's favor, but like it did that night. However, I agree with you a thousand percent. You're sitting here watching a game or you're in the stadium watching a game. They say, oh, we're going to replay. Even if it's like a spot and they move the ball an inch and it takes them five, eight minutes, like you've lost all that luster. You're sitting there in the stands. You're trying to talk to your buddies. Now you're just, now you're sitting down, taking a sip of your water. You've just lost like I'm not saying that momentum is a thing. It may or may not be. That might be a conversation for another day. But it definitely takes the air out of the whole stadium. It takes the air out of especially these high-powered offenses who are going and and going on their momentum. Now you have to sit and wait five minutes to see if the spot is correct or, you know. So I, I don't – I think you're exactly right with what you were saying about intent. I think the intent was was the right intent. But how we're going about it now in 2019-2020, it's painful at times, man. It's painful. They need to administer it the way the rule is written, and I know that's not going to make everybody happy. And like you said, at times it doesn't make me happy, right? But I can objectively look at that Clemson-Ohio State game and say, well, you know, I, I think that was a fumble, you know? I mean, doesn't mean I'm not going to take the W. <laughs> right. But, but I look at it and say, I think that was a fumble, and that's the way it was called. I, you know, an offshoot of this, though, is one thing I disagree with is, is let it play out, let the play run, and then figure it out later. I, I disagree with that because um, you're, that way it's always, it's always in the favor of um, – uh, the team that recovers the ball, it, it shouldn't be fair. You should call the play as you see it right then is what I'm getting at. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm just going to let this play run out because then you've got to overturn it 
to perhaps get the right call, which I see as a higher standard, right? I think if you see a play and you think it's dead, you need to call it dead and not say, oh, I just need to let this play out. If that makes any sense whatsoever. I didn't explain that very well, but I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say. There. I got you completely. I get that 100%. Um, and I lost my train of thought, but well, I had, all, I had something really say, profound. <laughs> Don't we all? They, they always say, just let it play out, you know, because, you know, who knows? It may have been a touchdown. But no, if you let it play out, but you should have called it dead, now you've changed the whole burden to be per you've switched the burden to the other side when it shouldn't have been call the play as you see it when it happens how hard is this why is this so difficult and if you've got to look at something 14 times i said nine now i'm saying 14 i'm wound up here if you've got to look at something 14 times it's not clear and obvious you're not going to get everything right you said it yourself with a high tech high def 18 cameras on the goal line everywhere, we still don't get everything right. We don't even come close to getting everything right. It should just let them call it on the field 98 of the time. Obvious things should be overturned. Obvious, not did his knee touch? I can't tell. Well, look, let me see. Let's look at the other replay. Let's get the camera coming in from the top, you know. It's crazy. It's just bizarre and crazy. It's, what's funny, too, is that there's never a camera that goes directly across the goal line straight, right? Isn't that the funny thing, too? Like, they have 170 different cameras in these stadiums. But, oh, you have to remember that the goal line camera is off just a little bit. and up a little. But The one camera that you probably need more than any, we don't have it in any stadium. I love it. Or love there's it. some guy standing there like this, right, blocking the camera. <laughs> No, we can get nine different angles of uh, the the uh, pizza Roy Philpott's eating in the booth, right? But we can't get but we can't get a camera down the goal line for anything. It just it it amazes me that the millions of dollars they spend on these on these games and the production and you know the whole set before the game, but we're not spending an extra five grand on a camera where we can you know may turn may make the difference in this football game. It's it's just just crazy, crazy, crazy. No, we won't always agree, but we agree on this one. But one thing that I, it's going to bring up that same old, same old story about do we get rid of humans then? Do we make everything robots and, and get it right? You know, baseball's talking about it and bringing in the robot for strike zones and whatnot. Like, it takes the human element out of it completely. And like you said, 98% of the time, they're correct. If I was correct 98% of my the time of my job, I would be running the place. So they're actually really good. And I think that's lost on a lot of people, especially right. in the SEC, that these guys are really, really good. And they might make a mistake every once in a while. I think you only notice these days, we're we're way off on a tangent. I love it. I think you're I think you're way I think you notice so much in baseball in the in the MLB how bad the umpires are because of the little strike zone thing they put on the and I don't even know how accurate that is or not, but, you know, when it's outside of that, I assume the guy missed it, right? But my biggest pet peeve out of any umpires, referees, officials, or college baseball, I have never seen worse officials. I, Parker's got better officials in his YMCA basketball league than Clemson has in, in uh, half of their 
baseball games and i'm uh monty lee you can just send the money straight to me for uh, for this because i know you agree <laughs> college baseball umpires are horrible if you look at them they're the same guys it's the same guys there's one guy that i've seen i i love college baseball it's one of my absolute favorite sports it's probably at clemson it was probably more favorite than football was at the time i know people would probably kill me for that However, the teams that we had back when I was in school were just dynamic. So I think three of my five years we went to Omaha, which is really pretty nice. But anyway, it's the same dudes. I, but then moving forward in my life, I would go to the Big East tournament in Clearwater, Florida, and I would sit there all day. And it's the same dude that was umping first at a Clemson game. It's umping the West Virginia St. John's game. And behind, now he's behind the plate. I'm like, do they just have this? Are they are they triplets? It's the same dudes, and they all stink. <laughs> I mean, the the balls and strikes, the hit by pitches, the just the you know fair and foul, you name it. Uh, they're just just horrible. And and I know I'm uh, I hate generalizing like that, but we're off on a tangent on referees. Yeah, we're actually right. saying how good the the football refs are, <laughs> but the uh, the baseball umpires need some serious help. Hey, Casey, let's finish this up with another off the topic here. And uh, we won't take you a little into our world as you guys get to know us. And that's why we're doing video also. So you just don't hear the voices. You know, there is an audio only option if you, if you prefer not to see our faces, which, uh, you know, our wives are kind of in that boat. Uh, but what have you been watching? We talked a couple of weeks ago about something I found on Netflix, Mr. Calzaghe, on a Saturday afternoon. I loved it. I thought it was a five. I don't, I don't rate things a five, and the one I'm going to give you later, I don't think I rated a five. It's pretty good. But what have you been watching lately that you can tell the folks out there recommend? So I think everybody in the world, uh, I'm pretty sure of it, based on social media, or at least my friends watched Hamilton this past week. I did as well on my flight back from Charlotte, North Carolina. I watched Hamilton. I thought it was fantastic, really well done, but I was a theater guy at Clemson. I'm a theater guy at heart. I like this uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He had another show previous to this one that wasn't nearly as lauded called In the Heights. Love that show as well. So I was highly, highly entertained by it. Thought it was well done. I don't like history at all, unless it's sports history. And, and I got into this. And also the more fun show that I'm watching is on Hulu. It, apparently it came out in like 2016. It's called You're the Worst. And it's basically a guy and a girl who meet. And they are the worst type of people. They meet at a wedding. And they are like just completely wrong for each other. It's not a love story by any stretch because they're just mean and jerks and, and everything. But it's hilarious. I've been glued to that while I sit here by myself because that's something my wife definitely wouldn't watch. Uh, but that's what I've been watching. So I watched Hamilton and you're the worst. Hulu. We had Hulu for a while. Parker, there was a show on there that Parker liked and I don't really remember what it was now, but Brockmeyer. I don't know. Every month I would go to him and say, are you still watching? Are you still? And he would ask <laughs> no. And you know, the cool thing about Hulu is they let you pause it. Right. So with the whims of uh, a 13, almost 14-year-old, you know, I could just pause it and he could say, hey, Dad, I want to watch it this tonight or whatever, and I just unpause it. I mean, it was a button. That's the cool thing. I don't know if Netflix does that or not, but I know Hulu does it. And it was cool because, you know, you're not spending $100 a year for him to watch three shows, you know. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. You go to the movies and get like three large popcorns for $100. But, <laughs> but uh, 
but Hulu was cool. I haven't seen either one of those. I've never seen Hamilton. Just doesn't seem like my kind of thing. And and it's uh, it obviously very popular. A lot of people talk about it. I've seen a lot about it. I just haven't. Just just not my kind of thing. I'd actually probably rather read a book or now in my old age, listen to a book <laughs> on Hamilton <laughs> versus watch the show. I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, three so weeks ago, I gave you a recommendation, uh, Mr. Calzaghe, as we talked about. So if you're into boxing, anybody out there, great show. I'd never heard of the guy. Obviously I was out of the loop. He's only the three time, three weight world champion undefeated. Oh, didn't give it away to, uh, you know, his, the story of his dad moving from a band manager or in a band to his manager, I should say, I recommend it highly. But so as I told you in a previous po- uh, previous episode, I don't think Netflix is very deep, right? There's like nine shows on there. And, I, and hey, here's even worse news. I watched Cheers. The reason I got Netflix is I could watch Cheers and I could watch the whole season or the whole 20 if I wanted to. All had a July 1st, they took it off. Oh, it's out of the rotation. I'm like, what are you talking about? What what are you talking about? No more Cheers. So I had to scroll through there again and find something on the Netflix bench. I stumbled across. And I thought, I, when I saw this, I said, Parker, you want to watch this with me? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he never did. So I said, I'm watching it Saturday, whether you're watching or not. The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Have you heard about this? No. 2015. I'm right on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only five years behind. The 1973 Portland Mavericks, right? An independent minor league baseball team. At the time, it was the only one. So they, they were an independent team, but they had to play affiliated teams, not other independent teams, right? Well, here's the story of this team, Case. You're not going to believe this. Owned by Bing Russell. Bing Russell played the deputy sheriff on Bonanza for 13 seasons. <laughs> and he, would, he made a joke when they interviewed him. One of the interviews, he said, I, I never solved one case in 13 years. <laughs> um and uh, over his career, in, uh, he was in a lot of other films, of course, and TV shows. And he was killed 126 times over his career. Wow. He's also um, the father of Kurt Russell, obviously. Um, Kurt Russell uh, played on the team. I think he, he was – and you say, well, yeah, his dad was the owner, right? Well, and it was independent. No, Kurt Russell played with an affiliated ball too the year prior, I think. I think he got injured and his career was over and he just kind of kind of played on the team and filled in when they needed him. He wasn't a big star or starter or anything. But we know Kurt Russell uh, was in over 50 movies, Hollywood Walk of Fame, all kind of TV shows. You know, I think I saw him when I was 12 in The World's Strongest Man or something, you know, some of those cheesy 1970s shows. So you have the owners on Bonanza for 13 years, his son who ends up being a movie star is on the team. They had a 24 year old female general manager, 1973. How, how often does that happen? Right. Yeah. So their bat boy, Todd field grew up to be a writer, a director, producer nominated for eight Academy awards and six Golden Globes. He's won. He won a Golden Globe. No, didn't win any of the uh, Academy Award, but nominated for eight. That was their bat boy. 
<laughs> oh yeah and when they started the year kurt russell was in the in the show saying uh, uh i don't know if uh the first game came up and we didn't know they had trials they had like 500 people at tryouts and all kind of guys from all over the united states and and south africa by the way so they got to the first game they didn't know if they were going to he said, we didn't know if we were going to win or lose 20 to nothing because they're playing affiliated teams with drafted players. Their pitcher, his name was Gene Lanthorn. He pitched a no-hitter in the first game. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> also on the roster, Jim Bowden of Ball 4 fame. 21 games we won with the Yankees in 63, 18 with the Yankees in 64. Now, that was the highlight of his career besides becoming a, an author of one of the uh, most famous, uh, I don't know if it's really a sports book, but one of the most famous books, Ball 4. It's like just, just bizarre. They also had a guy on their team named Reggie Thomas, and he was billed as a superstar on this team and he lived a block from the stadium, but Bing Russell always sent him a car, like a limousine to take him that one block. And they said, well, this is kind of stupid. He only lives a block from the park. He can walk. Why do you do that, Bing? He said, cause Reggie needs that. He's kind of like Reggie Jackson before Reggie Jackson, right? Or <laughs> I guess Reggie was around the same time, actually. He batted 340 and stole 71 bases and 79 attempts in 66 games in 73. In 74, he stole 72 bases and 85 attempts in 73 games. All that works out to 143 stolen bases and 164 attempts over those two seasons, and that is 87%. And you're probably saying, well, this is, you know, low A ball and, you know, whatever. Well, this guy eventually made it to triple A with the Tigers, I believe, Toledo, where he stole 27 of 31 bases, which is 87%. <laughs> now, at the end of the show, they do a very brief little thing, and they say that he's missing in action. Nobody knows where he is. He kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, never made it to the majors. But that was interesting. But I know you love the theater part of this, the Kurt Russell and the Bing Russell and the, and the, uh, uh, the Bat Boy who became a writer, director, and a producer. But the biggest thing that came out of uh, this team in the bullpen one day, a left-handed uh, reliever named uh, what was his name? I don't remember the guy's name. I'm having a hard time. I don't remember the guy. Rob Nelson. Rob Nelson, a left-handed reliever. Rob Nelson with Todd Field and Jim Bowden created in the bullpen big league chew. Holy yes, moly. Yes, they, they had Todd Field in there saying, yeah, we were in my parents' kitchen, you know, trying to figure this out. And they thought he was just nuts for doing this. You know, this thing will never sell. Guess how many packages of Big League, Big League Chew has been sold? I, I bought probably eleven these in my day, man. I, how many? 800 million. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Wikipedia, you know, so take that for what it's worth. But yeah, they had directors, uh, you know, who were up for Academy Awards. They had actors, they had inventors in the bullpen. They had authors 
on the mound, an independent minor league baseball team in age 73 and a 24-year-old female general manager. <laughs> Great story. That's awesome. And here's the deal. It's not even really about baseball. It's about going against the grain and doing something they tell you you can't do, right? Baseball is kind of the, the vehicle that gets them there. And, you know, and by the way, they won their division, I think, uh, all, every year they were there. They never won the league. They always lost a championship. But they won their division every year as an independent team against affiliated teams. Crazy. I think that's awesome that – that what you just said that it, it takes baseball. One of my favorite movies is for love of the game with uh, Kevin Costner. It's the same idea. I mean, it, it, it has baseball as the backdrop, but so I, I'll probably be gravitating towards that battered bastard to baseball because uh, a it's new and fresh or five years old, whatever <laughs> it's new and fresh to us. And, uh, and because it's got baseball. So, and the story's great. I mean, that, that story, the way you positioned it even is fantastic. So that's something that I would absolutely watch. It's just crazy. It, it, like I said, I, and I told Parker afterwards, I said, ah, you know, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed it because it really wasn't, they showed the games and they, you know, stolen bases and whatever, but it was more about the people on the team and the characters and their lives and what they grew into. And, fighting back against the status quo, right? You can't do this. You can't do this. Now, I had a sad inning, and I won't ruin that for you, um, but uh, it was a great story. And so, you know, between Mr. Calzaghe and the batter bastards of baseball, I'm about to change my mind on the depth of Netflix. Maybe it's me that doesn't have a deep bench. Maybe I, <laughs> I, I'm not clicking enough. You know, I'm not checking out enough things to find good stories because I found two really, really excellent stories on Netflix this summer. If you're not deep, man, that, that I'm, I'm literally in the baby pool because I wouldn't even know how to find these things. And I, and I like to think that I'm technologically savvy, but I wouldn't even know how to dig deep to find that. And maybe the documentary side, I don't know documentary and the other key is yes do look in documentary or or search on there there's a search thing for like sports documentaries or whatever but the other thing to do is if you watch a film uh, a show on boxing look under because you watched you know whatever check these out that's where i found these both of them so yeah i'm a big i'm a big stand-up comedian guy yeah. excuse me and so that's all my because you watched, it's just another stand-up thing. Yeah, check it out, or go into the docs and look up sports docs, or you know, I'll do it. Play or play around with it. I mean, that's that's it. Like, it took me five years. These things, these things, have been out for five years, and it, you know, if something good came out of this uh, crappy first half of 2020, it's I found a couple of good shows on Netflix. That's <laughs> awesome. And I'll need a couple more if things don't uh, improve over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Hey yeah. Casey, I, I'm glad you made it back to West Orange safely. We'll uh, we'll hook up again next week and and hopefully talk a little more football, maybe some more recruiting, hopefully more good news. You got anything to uh, say before we wrap it up here tonight? No, no. Notice that we didn't talk about the the dreaded c word, and that's on purpose. That's by design. So we're trying not to do that. We have our little pact i guess unspoken pact that we're not discussing it i think before he said something to me before we went on air about whether i could talk about it and i just said no not gonna happen so we're not talking about it a little uh, but bit that's of, it no glad to be back yeah a little bit of a break this week hey i'm glad to, glad to be back we hadn't talked much over last week as we grow this thing uh 
let's remind everybody we're on YouTube and Facebook and Hey, we're working on a live show. And if you think this is screwed up, just wait till we're live <laughs> on the internet. The internet will never be the same. <laughs> Casey, have producer Amy take us out. Producer Amy, how'd we do tonight? I think that sounds pretty good. 